You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, welcome to part four in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And and I hope you've enjoyed this. Boy, I know I've enjoyed it. And this is my second time to actually get to be involved uh, teaching from this. And... You know, the way it works is, it, it, you know, we're going Matthew 5, 6, 7, you know, kind of do it in order. And because we have diff- different pastors that are teaching on this, you don't really necessarily get to pick what you're going to teach on, okay? So my first one was salt and light, which I thought, yes, I re- that was great. <clears throat> this one, the, the straw that I drew was on adultery. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that tonight, but you know, I think this is a very important topic for us to talk about because it happens in churches all over the country and we all have to face it and we all have to deal with it. As a matter of fact, um, I grew up in a home where my parents divorced. My parents were married for 33 years and divorced and my wife who I married grew up in a home where her parents divorced. And probably there are many hands in this room that have been affected by divorce or maybe have been in a divorced situation. So in this session, we're going to cover what Jesus taught on adultery. But but before I get into it, and whether you're here with us live or listening by podcast, I want to make sure that everyone understands that Jesus, he spoke a lot about sin. He spoke a lot about issues in our life, things that entrap us and things that can cause us problems and difficulties in life because he wanted us to live a life that was blessed. He wanted us to experience our best life, not the life that the enemy would try to trap us into. So as we are talking about this tonight, if you have been through a divorce, if you have experienced a mate who committed adultery against you, or you were the one that committed the act of adultery, I want you to understand that in no way is what I'm going to be talking about meant to demean you or hurt you or open up old wounds. Because I, I, being a a young person that grew up in a divorced family, you know, I was in my early teens when my parents divorced, and it was a very painful, difficult thing for me and my family to walk through. So I'm I'm very sensitive to that. And being a pastor uh, for the last 25 plus years, I've had an opportunity to counsel a lot of people with, you know, whether it be pre-marriage or thinking about getting married or in the middle of a marriage or, um, and this was a problem that arose. And so I'm sensitive to this situation. But I want to make sure that you understand, and, and Jesus makes this very clear, that there's forgiveness for mistakes. There's restoration for mistakes and there's healing for mistakes. And I, and I'm grateful that God provides that for all of us. And it all comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this is by no ways meant to demean or or be hurtful, but we have to learn and be on our guard so that we don't fall into the trap of the enemy. Amen. So by saying that, go to Matthew chapter five with me, and we're going to start in verse 27. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Mine may be just a little bit different from yours. <clears throat> so either you can follow along in your Bible or you can, or on your app or you can just listen to me. Verse 27, your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you have already committed adultery in your heart. If your right eye seduces you to fall into sin, then go blind in your right eye. For you're better off losing sight in one eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand entices you to sin, let it go limp and useless. For you're better off losing a part of your body than to have it all thrown into hell. Verse 31, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a legal divorce papers. However, I say to you, if anyone divorces his wife for any reason except for infidelity or unfaithfulness, he causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus begins by showing us that we all face sexual temptation and sexual sins in various forms. And one of the big reasons for immorality and adultery falls into the category of lust and sexual sins and sexual desires. It's what tempts us. That's the thing that oftentimes gets people and they fall into a trap. Now, let me say this. Sexual temptation is not a sin. And I just want that to soak a minute. Sexual temptation is not a sin. As a matter of fact, there's not any kind of temptation in our life that is a sin. It's what we do with that temptation that determines whether or not that turns into sin or we avoid that. You know, one of the things that I always say, and I talk to our young adults about this often, I say, look, temptation is just as much an opportunity to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing. And, and you know, I, I, when temptation comes my way, and I'm, I'll just share with you personally one of my things, <clears throat> when temptation comes my way, and it certainly does just like it does you, I see that as a real challenge and an opportunity for me to overcome. See, for me to make a right decision, and when you make those right choices, you feel really good about yourself, amen? You know, when you win in an area of temptation, you feel really good. I won. I beat that. I overcame the enemy in that area of my life. And so this is something that we all face. Temptation is. It's a result of living in a fallen world, and it's a result of living in this right here, this earth suit that we're all in. And until we shed this sinful earth suit, this is something that each one of us every day will have to wage a battle with. That's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. And the, and the only fight that I've ever been in that, that is good is the one that I won. Amen. <laughs> when you lose, it's not a good fight. I had a couple of those too. Those were not good. Now, if we choose to fantasize, if we choose to allow a thought about another person, like for us men, another woman other than our wife, <clears throat> or you single guys in here, 
you know, to fantasize over another woman or maybe even a married woman? Are you women to fantasize over a man? Are you single girls to fantasize over another man or a, or a married man? For that to happen, that fantasy gives birth to sin in our hearts. And that's very important that we recognize this because when that happens in our minds and then it goes into our hearts, then that can take root and it can give birth to sin in our life. And even the actual act of sin being played out through whatever fantasy that we had. And so that's why it's so important. Jesus reveals how dangerous it is to have uncontrolled thoughts going on in our minds and in our life. And that's why he got really serious. And he said, look, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. You got to be that serious about it. Now, understand Jesus is using a hyperbole here, okay? And, and basically hyperbole is just an exaggeration of something to really prove a point. He didn't literally mean, you know, grab your eyeball and pluck it out of your head or, or cut your hand off. But he was saying that you need to be that serious about it. He's using a hyperbole here to place emphasis on keeping our thought life and our heart life accountable to the Holy Spirit and cooperating with the Holy Spirit because if we don't, our thoughts can give birth to sin. Can I have an amen? amen. So whatever you feed will dominate your life. I'm going to say that again. Whatever you feed in your mind will dominate your life. And whatever dominates your thoughts will control your life, whether good or bad. See, if I'm thinking good thoughts, I'm thinking godly thoughts, I'm thinking like the word says, whatever is pure and, and honorable and truthful and godly and good. If I'm allowing my mind to meditate on things like that, then that's going to produce the fruit of the spirit in my life, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness. I mean, I'll, I'll have all these great things, self-control. It's going to be working for me. But, but if I allow my mind to meditate on bad fruit on bad things, then it's going to produce greed, envy, jealousy, lust, anger, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness. So see, it's so important that we understand Jesus is, he, he's not making it like overly difficult for us as, you know, well, because, you know, we might say, well, okay, you know, Paul, we talk about the Ten Commandments and adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. And, and you would say, well, I, you know, I, I've been able to keep the commandment because I've never committed adultery until, until Jesus came along and said, well, wait a minute. We're not just talking about the outward act. We're talking about at a heart level. <clears throat> and that's not because Jesus was trying to make it hard for us or to make us feel extra guilty when we miss the mark. No, Jesus is trying to say, listen, your thought life is the most important area of your life. That's why Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, I mean, you know, Solomon asked, God said, what do you want? And Solomon said, wisdom. And he said, okay, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to give you riches since you didn't ask for it. And people would travel from hundreds of miles to hear Solomon's wisdom and all that Solomon had to say to them. And he knew about everything. He knew about horticulture and agriculture and architecture. And he was just this wise man he knew about astronomy and all kinds of stuff. People would come from all over to hear his wisdom. And here's what Solomon said. He said, above all else, above all that I could tell you, above all the wisdom that I could give you, watch this, guard, help me, your, help me, heart. 
You've got to guard your heart. And so Jesus uses a hyperbole to get our attention by revealing what a serious and dangerous matter that can come from an out-of-control thought life, whether it be ill-will thoughts toward your mate, whether it be negative thoughts about your relationship with your mate and your marriage that can lead you into this direction. As a matter of fact, two of the Ten Commandments deal with this. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. And commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor. Both of these deal with the heart, okay? They're, they're both very relational because you understand when you commit adultery, you're committing adultery with another person. So that's very relational. It's, there's a lot of people that are involved. There are a lot of people that are affected. There are children that are affected. There are friends that are affected. There are coworkers that are affected. There are family members that are affected. There's your, that, your side of the family and their side of the family. So boy, there's a lot of lives that are touched by this. And this is why it says, you shall not commit adultery and you shall not covet your neighbor because these are very relational. And what is the two greatest commandments? Number one, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And number two, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, those are very relational. Because everything that we have with God is built upon relationship. It's all built upon relationship. And this is all deals with relational issues here. So every day we have to capture rebellious thoughts and make them submit to Christ every single day day, especially when you get in an argument with your mate or you get in an argument with a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody that you're engaged to. See, we have to capture those rebellious thoughts and we have to make them submit to Christ. Listen, adultery is 100% preventable. It's 100% preventable. We just have to be wise and we have to be smart And we can't be naive. We can't be naive. It's very important that we're not naive when it comes to people and situations in life. Because the fact is, listen, affairs don't happen in hotel rooms and affairs don't happen in bedrooms. Affairs happen in conversations. That's where they happen. You start talking with a coworker. You start talking with a friend. You start sharing, you know, some of the things that are going on in your relationship, some of your areas that you're dissatisfied with or maybe areas that needs aren't being met. And you open up and all of a sudden there's an emotional attachment that happens. And most of the time, these never happen in bedrooms or hotel rooms. They just happen in everyday conversations. That, that we're having with people and we're just not being smart and we're not following through. I, I, I'll give you an example. I have counseled a lot of men and women both having marriage problems. And I have never, in all of my years that I've done counseling, have I ever met with a woman who is having marriage problems in my office by myself with the door closed late at night. Well, Paul, are you, are you meaning 
Are you trying to tell me that you would fool around with that woman if you were in your office at nine o'clock at night? No, I'm not telling you that, but what I am telling you that I will never put myself in that situation to find out whether I would or I wouldn't. You know, I tell our interns all the time, it's kind of a running joke. I say, guys, you will never see in the Hot Springs paper local pastor of Christian ministries shot at the Waffle House at 3 a.m. in the morning. You want to know why? Because I'm not going to the Waffle House at 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't care how good the waffle is. (laughs) Come on. And I'm not talking about waffles. (laughs) Listen, listen, we can't be naive. We got to understand, church, and take this the right way. I'm not talking bad about anybody that you work with. I'm sure the majority of the people that you work with are great people. But I do want to say this. There are plenty of people out there that could care less that you're married. And they could care less that you entered into covenant. And they could care less that you made a commitment. It doesn't matter to them. So we can't be naive and we have to understand that the enemy is all, the Bible makes it clear, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Turn with me to Second Peter. I, I, I want to look at another one with you here. Are y'all still with me? Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two, verse 14. Let's just read what the scripture warns us about. <clears throat> when we talk about certain types of people that are out there, it says they are addicted to adultery with eyes that are insatiable, with sins that never end. They seduce the vulnerable and are experts in their greed. They are but children of a curse. And we have to be on our guard always against the devil. And we have to walk in wisdom. Listen, listen, everywhere we go. Don't set yourself up for unnecessary temptation. Did y'all hear that? Don't set yourself up for unnecessary temptation. Be wise. Don't be naive. Read the situation. Pay attention to where you're placing yourself and what you're doing and what you're thinking about your mate, what you're dwelling on about the person that you stood on the stage and you said, I do for better or for worse in sickness and health till death do us part. Remember, you've got to guard your thoughts. Go back to Matthew chapter five. I want to I look at this again. And I, I just want to kind of break this down a little bit. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it says, Your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look, look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, and obviously, you know, women, you understand that applies to you too as we're talking about men. It's just, you know, universal. It says, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If your right eye seduces you to fall into sin, go blind. Some of your translations say what? Gouge it out. But it would be better off for you to lose your sight in one eye than have your whole body 
thrown into hell. And if your right hand entices you to sin, let it go limp or useless. Some of your translations may say what? Cut it off. I mean, cut it off. For you're better off losing part of your body than to have it thrown into hell. So this, this was really curious to me as I was reading this because Jesus goes on to finish talking about adultery. Okay? So this whole set of verses here is within the context of adultery and that relationship with an adulterous person. So it was very interesting to me that Jesus talked about the eye and the hand. Because I have to be honest to you, when when I read that and I thought about certain body parts that maybe you could cut off to help you overcome adultery, the first thought that came to my mind wasn't my eye or my hand. I was thinking, you know, there's probably some other things that could be cut off that might be more effective. And we're not going to say what those were. You just kind of read into the message. Somebody's right there goes, what's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so why the eye and why the hand? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is really, really smart. As a matter of fact, he's brilliant. He's a genius. The reason he chooses, chooses these two body parts is because he's dealing with men and women. And when we understand the difference between men and women, we can understand why Jesus talked about the eye and Jesus talked about the hand because men are moved by sight. And women are moved by touch and security. And so Jesus is dealing with these two areas of the eye and the hand because he knows what entices or what is our initial need our, our desire, our temptation that can trap us. Now, one of the things that I, I want to really encourage you to do, and, you know, even you young guys in here tonight, you know, you're not married yet, but it's very important that you listen to what I'm saying because this is going to be stuff that's going to be very useful to you later in life when you do get married. But one of the things that we really have to do and I really started paying attention to this about 10 years ago in my own personal life, and I'm sorry that it took me so long to begin to do this. Maybe, maybe it was 12 or, or 13 years ago, but somewhere around in there, I really started trying to become a student of myself, paying attention to Paul, my moods, my ups, my downs, my ins, my outs, my reactions, my responses, my thoughts. I started really paying attention to how I reacted to negative situations. I started really paying attention to what my mind was dwelling on throughout the course of the day. And it's very important for all of us in here to really begin to work on and paying attention to becoming students of ourselves because that's what leaders do. Leaders become students of themselves. They pay attention. You know, you guys that are in uh, Teen Challenge and you guys that are in Shalom Ministries, it's very important for you to begin to pay attention to you. Why do you think what you think? Why did you react the way you reacted? Why did you respond the way you responded? Why are you thinking right now what you are thinking? And when you begin to do that, you, you can begin to <clears throat> literally arrest thoughts. Hold up. 
That's not one I need to be thinking on. That right there is not going to take me toward my destination. Are y'all hearing me? So that's not going to take me where I want to go. Because if I'm thinking this negative thought about my mate, that's not going to lead me into a happy marriage. If I'm thinking this negative thought about, if I'm thinking this thought about this person at work, <clears throat> that could lead me into a compromising situation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you have to learn to recognize your trigger points. A trigger point is that immediate impulse or that impulsive response that we have when something doesn't go the way we want it to go or we find ourselves in a certain situation, like a a tempting situation. It's that first initial impulse. That's your trigger point. So you learn to identify trigger points in your life, and then you can begin to make changes and renew your thought life and your heart life and literally begin to, to make your brain think like Jesus because he lives inside of you, right? He's in us. We're born again. And so we come into agreement with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and and we begin to get the mind of Christ. And because we have the mind of Christ, we we begin to kind of have the same trigger points that Jesus had. And those trigger points are being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, the last part of Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 31, it says, It's been said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a legal must give her legal divorce papers. However, I say that if anyone divorces his wife except for the reason of infidelity, he commits adultery. So divorce had become very common during Jesus' time. I mean, it really wasn't hard at all to get a divorce. Uh, All a man had to do was have a rabbi uh, write out divorce papers, and he paid him the money that was required for that. And then he would bring two witnesses with him and he would present his papers to his wife and they'd get a divorce and it'd become very, very easy. But Jesus is saying, hold up, hold up. This is not God's way. This is not the answer. Because many, many people think divorce is the answer because they're so miserable. They're so uncomfortable. They're so unhappy. Divorce is the answer. Because lots of times we want to just get out of the uncomfortable situation that we're in at this moment. I'm just, I'm very unhappy and I don't want to be unhappy anymore. And so I want to get out of this. But but let's look at what Jesus had to say about this. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It says, then Jesus left the region and went into the district of Judea across the Jordan River. And again, massive crowds flocked to him. And Jesus, as it was his custom, began to teach the people. And at one point, some of the Pharisees came seeking to entrap him with a question. Tell us, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, well, what did Moses command you? And they replied, well, Moses permitted us to write a certificate of separation that would be valid to complete a divorce. And Jesus said, yes, Moses wrote this exception for you because you were hard-hearted. Now, that's not a condition that God would want any of us in. Amen? God wants us soft-hearted, tender-hearted, pliable, submissive, loving. Verse 7, so for this reason, a man will leave his parents and be wedded to his wife, and the husband and wife will be joined as one flesh... 
And after that, they no longer exist as two, but as one flesh. So there you have it. What God has joined together, no one has the right to split apart. Now, once indoors, his disciples asked him to explain it to them again. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if the wife divorces her husband and marries another, she also commits adultery. So Jesus has given us this principle that we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where it says leave and cleave, right? For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall what? Cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, they get married. Now the word marriage literally means merge. Think about that. It's two things merging into one. It's a combining or the word marry means a combining or mixing of two elements. Just look it up in the dictionary. So just imagine this, for example, imagine taking salt and pepper, like both, and taking a cup and dumping them together and shaking them around. And now all the salt and all the pepper have mingled together. Now go through and go to the arduous task of separating those. No, because they, they're, they're mixed, they're merged. They've, they've literally come together and become one. You know, how many of y'all have watched married couples? You know, they have the sand that they pour when they get married, right? So you pour that sand together and they intermingle. How many of y'all have seen that happen before? Yeah, we see married couples do that. Or we do what we call a unity candle. There's three candles. One side represents her side of the family, the other one, the other side of the family, and the one in the middle. So they come together and they light that one candle and the two become one. So there's a lot of symbolism there. So when you get married, you literally become one in soul, one in spirit, one in body. And that, and that is why it is so painful, so excruciatingly painful and difficult and hurtful and so deeply wounding when couples get divorced. And when you go through divorce, divorce is traumatic for husband, for wife, for kids, for friends, for family. It's so traumatic for everyone. And because of the devastating hurt that divorce creates, Jesus sets out to, excuse me. Jesus sets out to correct man's corrupt concept about divorce. Because it's not just like, oh, we were together, now we're not. It's just not that simple. Because you, you've come together there's a soul tie, there's a merging. And it's, it's literally like having part of you ripped from you. See, Jesus said marriage is forever. And, and God's not trying to ruin our enjoyment in life. That's, that's not the point of what God's doing. He's trying to help protect us from some serious wounds and hurts and pains that come as a result of walking through divorce. Peace is not found in another person. Peace is not found in another marriage. Peace is not found in another place. Peace is a state of mind. And it comes from us being in union with Jesus Christ and thinking right thoughts and having our heart where it needs to be. See, divorce merely serves to compound problems, actually. 
And, and, and I can speak to this matter because, you know, I've counseled couples who, who got divorced and, and, and they thought that that was going to be the thing that was going to alleviate them of their problems. But literally, it just compounds problems times 100. It makes life so much more stressful and so much more difficult when you go through divorce because, you know, you, you, the, just the pain of, of the separation and, and locations and having to move and finances and child support and, 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 and all of the legal things that are involved. And then there's children that are involved that have to go through this whole process of divorce, and it's so very difficult. And then now we've got separate Christmases, and now we've got separate birthdays, and now we've got separate parties and celebrations, and who's going to walk them down the aisle, and graduations and holidays, and it's just, it becomes extremely, extremely difficult. See, that's why we have to make our marriages work, and we have to avoid allowing the enemy to come in and tempt us. You know, I was told a long time ago, and I thought this was really good advice, here's how you spell love. W-O-R-K. So, Paul, you mean I have to work at being in love? Absolutely. You had to work at dating. You had to work at dating. You have to work at staying in love. You know, the single adults in here tonight, and just those of you who aren't married yet, I want to encourage you to choose a mate wisely and carefully. You know, who you marry is the most important thing other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. It literally is probably the most important, most influential thing that you can ever do. And so I I just wrote down a few things here, actually three categories, morally, spiritually, and naturally, that you need to consider. Number one, morally. Is the person that you're considering marrying, are they honest? Are they truthful? Do they listen to counsel? Are they loving and caring of other people? Are they not prideful? You know, are they a moral person? Do they have integrity and uprightness? And then spiritually, are, are they godly? You know, do they have a strong walk with the Lord? What's their church commitment like? What's their church attendance like? Do they serve? Does their leadership know who they are? Do they pray? Do they read their word? Do they, do they have a legitimate, real relationship with Jesus Christ, or is it just pretend? And then lastly, naturally, you know, can they hold down a job? Have they been at their job more than a month? Come on. Do they have a good work ethic? <clears throat> do they honor and keep their word? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Even if it's not easy for them, do they, do they respect their parents? How do they treat their mother? You watch that, girls. How's that guy treat their mom? <clears throat> How does she treat her father? What kind of relationship do they have? Do they pay their bills? Are they responsible? See, these are things that, that we need to consider. Why? Because marriage is forever. Marriage is forever. Take time to get to know a person on a friend level. You know, spend months and months with them. Watch them, observe them. See how they live. Watch what they do. See how they respond and treat you over a period of many, many months. 
before you actually commit to marriage. See, here, here was some good advice that I heard Andy, Andy Stanley say. He says, become the person that you're looking for is looking for. Become the person that you're looking for is looking for. Because sometimes we're looking for a person that we're not ourselves. And you're not going to attract the kind of person that you're looking for in your life unless you are actually that person. You're going to attract the person into your life that you're more like. So it's best to work at getting yourself ready so that when the time comes, you'll attract that right person into your life. As I close tonight, Jesus said to cut it off and to pluck it out. And the way that you defeat sin is you die to yourself. That's the message of Christianity. Take up your cross and follow me. It's a dying to ourselves daily. It's a submitting our lives to the Lord daily. And we see God's plan here in this session. And for those of you who have made bad choices here and are listening by the podcast, maybe you've made mistakes, I, I want to encourage you to receive God's grace and mercy. God is right there. All we have to do is repent. All we have to do is ask for forgiveness. All we have to do is humble ourselves before the Lord. And for those of you that are here tonight and you're married, and maybe you've been married for one year or two years or five years or ten, or, or maybe you've been married for 40 or 50 plus, congratulations, that, that's awesome. But, but I want to encourage you, be wise. Work on your marriage. And if you feel that the flames of love have gone out in your relationship, my encouragement to you is phantom. Fan the flames. You know, I've had couples talk to me before and they said, Paul, we just fell out of love. I just fell out of love. I just don't love them anymore. And my, my response has always been, well, fall back in. I mean, is that like you fell out? Is it like falling in a hole or something? What are we talking about? Fall back in. Well, Paul, how did I fall back in? Well, how did you fall in love? You thought about all the positive, good things about them. Lots of friends are warning you about all the negative. You just refused to listen at the time that you met them. But they were all there. Just the difference is you chose to focus on all the good qualities instead of the not-so-good qualities. But what happens is, as we're married, we begin to focus more on the negative qualities than we do the good qualities. But I just want to remind you, you got some bad qualities yourself. <clears throat> it's true. We've got to work at our marriages. We've got to protect what God has given us, and we have to avoid falling into the trap of the enemy. God's way is best. It brings life. It brings happiness. It works best. Our flesh is selfish. It'll lead us to destruction. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to your carnal mind. Don't let your emotions make decisions for you. Allow the Spirit of God to lead you and to protect you and to guide you in everything you do. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this tonight? All right, stand with me. Stand with me. We'll pray together and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you tonight. Lord, help us as we are learning to be disciples and to disciple. Lord, help us to be on our guard. Help us to be wise. Lord, help us to be obedient. Each and every day, Lord, help us to learn the, the simple joys of, of just winning victory and obedience 
day in and day out by every obedient decision that we make. Lord, we celebrate those victories and we move forward in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 